The elementary students, you guys can go ahead and head out. Hey, I need your attention real quickly, adults. We have a, a car that needs to be moved. Uh, it is a, J, a gray uh, Jeep, right, that's on, I think, 21st Street across from Jules. Um, that's blocking a driveway. So uh, in 10 minutes, uh, that car will be scrapped and sold for parts. So just fair warning. Um, Hey, I want to start off uh, with a little uh, a lighthearted beginning uh, to our time this morning. So I want you to just watch this clip by one of my favorite comedians, uh, Brian Regan. Okay. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote that there is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves than pride. We dislike it when we see it in others, but sometimes it can be really hard to see it in ourselves. But the truth of the matter is in one form or another, we are all the me monster. We are on this journey Exploring what it means to love one another deeply, which is a command that, uh, you know, Scripture just kind of hits at again and again. And one that begins in the home, extends to our church community, and then hopefully out into the larger world. And each of those kind of concentric circles has its own uh, unique challenges and difficulties. And we began this series by taking a look at a conversation that Jesus had with an expert in Old Testament law, who came to Jesus and said, you know, what is the greatest command out of all the hundreds and hundreds of commands that there are in scripture? And Jesus answered him by saying, 
that the, the first and greatest command was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. That we had to do that first. And by that, he means that our journey to loving others must begin with a love for God. And we talked about um, that that's a response to gratitude. I mean, the, the song we just sing, right? It's like, um, you know, you love me as you found me. That, that just wrecks me. And so our love for God really just flowed out of a gratefulness for the way that he has loved us. And then, um, secondly, you know, we're, and then that love <clears throat> is a giving and receiving. It's a reciprocal relationship, right? We're with our creator, our savior, um, that we're then, when we do that, we are then given the resources to take that love out into the world through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, right? Because we are in Christ, Christ is in us, we now have these resources called the fruits of the Spirit that have been gifted to us. So in every one of us who calls ourselves followers of Christ is perfect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We have everything we need. We just got to figure out how to get it out. <laughs> What's hindering those things flowing out of our lives to others in ways that looks and feels loving? Jesus said the second command <clears throat> was to love your neighbor as yourself. And so last week, we kind of went on this journey of, well, what does it mean then if we're supposed to love our neighbor like ourselves, and how do I love myself? What does that look like? The ability to love others has its genesis in a proper self-care. Author Brene Brown summed up that conversation best. We shared this quote last week when she said, if you think you're loving others well, but you don't love yourself well, you are fooling yourself. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, you can go back and listen to my message from last week if you want to go deeper on that critical topic. So we have to love God. We have to love ourselves. And now for the rest of this sermon series, we're going to turn our gaze towards the first part of that second greatest command, love your neighbor. And there are several primary factors that kind of hinder our ability to be able to love our neighbor well. And today we're going to kind of land on this issue of pride and spend some time there. So uh, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. It's page 1479. <clears throat> and just as a, a word to the wise... Uh, those first two things, loving God and loving yourself, those aren't like things that like you conquer and like check off your list, <laughs> right? This isn't like a progression of like perfection, right? You're going to be trying to do those two things, all of us, like your whole life. It's going to be like hopefully progressive depth in those areas, okay? So you're never done learning to love God well, learning to love yourself well, okay? That's ongoing. Okay. Luke 10, we're going to start in verse 25. This is a familiar conversation. It's just in a different gospel. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? <laughs> Y'all want to take some guesses on why he asked that question? Yeah, Devin. Yeah, great. Yeah, he wanted to narrow <laughs> the crowd a little bit, whittle it down. Like, who, who am I exempt from, right? Who do I get a free pass on? You see, we all want to kind of like fence in who we feel responsible for having to love. And if we're honest, we'd really like for the people in that man-made fence to be people that look like us, act like us, think like us, people who we would deem as easy to love, preferably people who would return the favor and love us back. Man, if we could just kind of have that pin and closure of people that God would say, hey, just love those people. That would be amazing. <laughs> and Jesus addressed that tendency that we have in Luke 6, 32. He said this, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. So after this question was asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus launches in to the story that we now call the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you remember when we talked a couple of weeks ago about the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. And we talked about how the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They, they looked down on them. They thought they were better than them. They had intermarried with other uh, nationalities over the years and were kind of half-breeds in Jews' eyes. So Jesus telling the story of a good Samaritan seemed like an oxymoron to a Jew. Okay? <clears throat> and in this story, this man is beaten and kind of left for dead by the side of the road and a, and a priest and a, and a Levite, these Jewish holy men go walking by, too busy, too distracted, not enough time to care for this guy. And then a Samaritan comes along and goes above and beyond what's required to care for somebody and kind of sets an example of love. And so Jesus is saying that this very person that you look down on that you think you're better than loved that person the best. The Samaritan wasn't, wasn't concerned with who's my neighbor. He just did the, the right loving thing in front of him. It's a fairly natural tendency to see ourselves as better than others. Right? A lot of times we walk into a room and we kind of size up the room. Right? Who, who can I kind of deem myself better than? Is there a person, is there a group of people that I would kind of put myself a little higher in the pecking order? Pride literally means puffed up. It's having an, an overly inflated opinion of yourself. And pride is marked by a heart dispositioned towards comparison. We slot ourselves in the pecking order based on all kinds of things, maybe education, economic or social status, um, biblical knowledge, appearance, power or positions that we might have, athletic ability, or things that we would never do, unlike, you know, some people, right? Paul addressed this tendency towards pride in his first letter to the church in Corinth, if you've ever read it. They had tons of pride issues and all kinds of issues that he was addressing in that letter. They had pride about 
um, different apostles that they thought were, were better and should be you know, more, more talented that they should follow. They had different pride issues over what commands that they were willing to obey or over which spiritual gifts were the, the best spiritual gifts. It was kind of a, a pretty discouraging and dysfunctional church, honestly. And out of that firm letter of rebuke that Paul writes back came that famous passage in chapter 13. I'm just going to read it for you. You guys are very familiar with it. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over uh, my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is not proud. So we're going to flesh this out a little bit more because, again, pride can be kind of a sneaky uh, sin. It comes in various shades of severity. So to start, a prideful mindset rarely thinks of God compared to my agenda, my projects, my priorities, my finances, my desires, my future, my problems. A prideful mindset is characterized by comparison, which can lead to either self-importance or self-pitying. Because both flow from a mindset of comparison. A prideful mindset is characterized by oversensitivity. See that a lot. We get bumped in what I kind of call our raw spots, right? Somebody pokes us at a place where we're kind of tender, our places of unhealed wounds, and we react in unhealthy ways. Overly sensitive people are stubborn. They get defensive when people try to correct them or disagree with them. A prideful mindset is geared towards fault-finding. We listen to sermons or we read books looking for nuggets of wisdom that other people really need to hear. To keep ourselves from owning our own issues that contribute to our broken patterns of operating. Do you see yourself in any of those descriptions or tendencies? <laughs> I sure do. In Luke 6.45, Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what words do a prideful person use? <clears throat> well, let's begin with boasting, which again is a focus on me over God and others. Boasting uses words to secure our importance or a sense of superiority over others. Love is opposed to boasting. Love-filled words find their center in God and building others up according to their needs. People walk away from boast-filled conversations, wounded, put down, feeling like they don't measure up, provoked to envy and irritated, while loving conversations leave us feeling seen and known, affirmed and encouraged. 
Prideful people rarely ask questions because they're listening for their first chance to respond. Instead of seeking first to understand someone, they seek first to get their point across and make sure that they're heard. And for me, one of the biggest like pet peeves I have in life that makes me feel the most um, belittled and unloved is when I know people are just listening, or that they really aren't listening, but they're just waiting to get their next comment in. And they really have no clue what I'm really trying to say to them. They're so filled with their own narrative that they don't consider what it is I might be sharing and how that might impact or, or even like maybe have a question about my thoughts or what I'm thinking. Drives me insane. <laughs> I'm sure I do plenty of things to drive other people insane, so not better. <laughs> Prideful people insert their opinions where they're not asked because they're convinced that they know better. While loving people are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Prideful worlds are filled with excuse-making and blame-shifting anything to protect the image of the proud person. Prideful people rarely use their words to confess or to apologize or take responsibility for their actions. It's always somebody else's fault. Prideful words are harsh. They speak of other people's sin with contempt, irritation, frustration, or judgment, often belittling the struggles of others. Conversely, Proverbs 16.24 tells us that gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Paul also reminds us in Ephesians to speak the truth in love. So this week I came across an um, article called Seven Symptoms of a Prideful Heart. And I want to share those with you because I think it does a really good job of bringing to light some of the subtle roots of pride that we might not put into that category, but actually are. So here we go. The first symptom of a prideful heart is fear. Pride is at the root of fear and anxiety because it's a refusal to humbly rest in God's sovereign care for you. Fear reveals our lack of trust and our poisonous self-reliance. So I want you to think right now if there's something kind of in your life that you have some fear around. And what does that tell you about how you feel about God's sovereignty in that situation? Is there some pride wrapped up into that? The second symptom is entitlement. The belief that God owes us a good, trouble-free and pain-free life as long as we're doing the right Christian things. Suffering and discipline are supposed to be for other people who are slackers in their faith or non-Christians. Right? They're the ones that need to be suffering. And when we don't get our way, what we feel we deserve Entitled people get bitter and jealous and frustrated. Entitled people miss the truth of Ephesians 
which says this, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What we were entitled to was wrath. The disciples, disciples uh, often argued about which one of them was the greatest, while their Messiah, Jesus, was saying that he came to not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? If anybody could be entitled, it would be Jesus. And there's no entitlement there in how he describes his mission or what he expected his life was going to look like. The third symptom of a prideful heart is ingratitude. Pride tells us that we deserve good things. So if we're uncomfortable or inconvenienced in any way, we can complain. It's our right. A humble heart recognizes that God knows what we ultimately need and provides it according to his timing and his will. Psalm 34, 9 reminds us, fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. When I think of <clears throat> ingratitude, I think of the, the Israelites, right, who've been rescued from being slaves in Egypt and miraculously pulled out, um, you know, miraculously brought through the Red Sea and they get out into the wilderness. And then it's just grumbling, 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 you know, not enough water, the food's not good enough, you know, it's too hot out here, you know. We'd rather be back in Egypt as slaves, at least we knew we were getting three square a day there. Nothing was good enough for them because they felt like they deserved better. The fourth symptom is people-pleasing. People-pleasing is all about self-satisfaction, fearing man more than God, seeking the fleeting happiness that comes from man's approval. Galatians 1.10 says it pretty bluntly. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. <laughs> That's a rough one, isn't it? <laughs> Whew. The fifth symptom of a prideful heart is prayerlessness. Pride deceives us into thinking that we can do life on our own, that we've kind of got it under control. We're capable. So we don't need God's wisdom or strength or hope or grace. A humble heart, in contrast, stays connected to the vine in prayer, realizing, as Jesus said, that apart from him we can do nothing. The sixth symptom of a prideful heart is hypocrisy. Hypocrites are more concerned with the outward appearance of goodness or righteousness than they are about inward transformation. Jesus spoke to this tendency in Matthew 23, 25, and 26. I'll just read it for you. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. The final symptom of a prideful heart mentioned in the article is rebellion. Rebellion manifests itself in a resistance to obey God's word or the authority of leaders in your life, whether man-appointed or God-appointed. There's an unwillingness to submit to a boss or a parent or a pastor, for that matter. Rebellious people tend to pick and choose what biblical commands they submit themselves to. I think we pretty much all do that, if we're honest. Rebellion says, I know better than God. At least that's what your actions display. Pride is such a massive topic in scripture. (laughs) Boiling it down into this is one little sermon today doesn't really do it justice so we're just scratching the surface here with it but it's something that god is so clear about Um, again and again scripture says that god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble that's a consistent message many of you guys have probably read but if you're like me i can quickly see how often i fall into the trap of just you can just put those symptoms back up there that final list of all seven of them. I can easily fall into the trap of about any of those things. And so I'm sure that as we're sitting here today, every one of you here is pinpointing certain things that you know, you know are true about you. So what do we do with that? Well, the important thing is, is what we do when we realize that our pride is hindering our ability to love others. The first thing that we kind of need to do is we just need to just acknowledge that the damage we're doing because of our pride in these various areas is probably worse than you think it is. A lot of us have a, a, a tendency to minimize the impact of our sin because it makes us feel better about ourselves. <laughs> Other people aren't quite as hurt by me as I think. And that's comforting at some level, but it just might not be true. So what do we do? Do we have trusted mentors and friends who we will listen to and submit ourselves to when they call us out on our ungodly, prideful behavior? Do we seek those voices and give them permission to speak into our life? I really want to ask everybody here this morning, do you have someone in your life, a trusted mentor or friend that you've You've sought out and you've asked them and you've given them permission. When you see me acting in these ways, prideful ways, things you may be aware of or maybe you're not aware of and you ask them, what do you see in me that I don't see in myself? And then whatever it is that they say, they call out. Like you believe and you trust that, okay, my friend cares about me and loves me. So if they say that that's the truth, there's probably some truth to that. I'm actually seeking out those voices that are going to call out the things in me that need to change. That's courageous, right? To give people permission to do that. 
The opposite of courage is cowardice, right? Wanting to continue to just do what I want to do and without giving anybody permission to speak into my life. Do we take an honest inventory of our life and ask God to reveal those prideful places in our hearts? We talked about that the other night, looking at the, the psalm, right? Seek me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any, you know, sinful way in me. Reveal it to me. Do we come to him and say, God, I, I, I don't even know what I don't know about myself. Give me eyes to see my pride and the way that that's unloving. Do we make amends when our prideful mindsets, words, and actions have hurt those around us? So then here's another step, right? My buddy Bill might come to me and say, hey, Bob, you've got an issue with this, this. I've seen you kind of be prideful in these ways. And it's one thing to accept it and acknowledge it and maybe even confess it to God. It's a whole different thing than to go to my brother Jordan and say, hey, I'm sorry. You know, my prideful heart, my words, my actions have been hurtful towards you and unloving. And I, I want to ask you to forgive me. And I want to try to not be like that anymore. Right? There's kind of steps of reconciliation here that help create a good framework here for, for love and care for other people. A driving verse for me in this conversation about pride, especially in just recent years, has been Philippians 2.3. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. So we talked about walking into a room and kind of assessing and kind of making this pecking order. What this is saying is that when you do that, put yourself at the bottom that's the pecking order. You hear everybody else above you. And that kind of gets to the root of pride, doesn't it? When we walk into any room, instead of sizing people up, we recognize that we're all, everybody in that room are in equal need of God's grace. Everyone, equal need of God's grace. It changes our posture, doesn't it? Of how we see ourselves and how we see others. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. As we put on this, this cloak, hopefully, <laughs> of humility, we can cover over the pride of our brothers and sisters by showing them a better way. And leading them to repentance by our kindness. That's what humble people have done for prideful me most of my life. They've covered over a multitude of my me monster moments. By graciously speaking the truth and love to me. Put those back up here again. I'm sorry I keep coming back to them, but <clears throat> I'm going to ask you all to be vulnerable today and just ask you what, what spoke to you 
in these different categories of pride. It could be a mindset, it could be uh, a word, the way that we use our words, or it could be these symptoms. Anything speak to you or really jump out to you today? And is there anything, kind of next steps, you're thinking, this is what I need to do about that? Anybody willing to share? Yeah. Yeah, she fears a lack of stability, and so she spends a lot of her effort and energy trying to kind of orchestrate and control life to get what she feels like she needs, which shows a lack of trust in God. Good. And now you just need to stop it, right? <laughs> right. Anybody else? Yeah. Prayerlessness. Yeah, yeah, I can figure it out. I don't need to ask. Yeah. That pride can also not only be with God, but it can be a prayerlessness with other people too, right? Where we ask somebody else for, for prayer because we, we, we know that we're in need. We need help, right? So even sometimes going to another human, our, our unwillingness to is, reveals pride about us, right? What else? Entitlement, okay. Mm. Yeah, boy, that's good. Like, not good that, you know, that's your struggle. <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? But good to recognize where that takes our heart. Right, because then those people that aren't noticing or recognize this then can kind of become the enemy, right? And and we could put ourselves on this pedestal of thinking, I'm doing this, this, and this, and those people aren't, and we can just see how that shifts our, our posture not really in a loving way, right? That's good. Somebody else had a hand up over here. Yeah, Jeffrey. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a slippery slope snowball effect, right? Yeah, that's a really good observation. Thank you. That's good. Boy, you people are disgusting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How do I deal with you every week? Oh, my gosh. Did you have something else? Yeah, or, I would say yeah. Mm. Also between you and others. Can you find that within yourself? So if you feel entitled, then you look around and see what you think people are getting that you don't care about. Mm. It just puts us in a really tough spot. Yeah. Just talking about how entitlement a lot of times can lead to jealousy and, and envy, what we see happening in other people's lives. Why is that happening? That happened for us. And that can put barriers up between us and other people. Yeah. Good. I'm going to leave you guys um, 
Let me think about how I want to, what order I want to say this in. Okay. We've talked about that humility is the antidote to pride, right? The opposite of pride is humility, okay? So as we close today, there's a couple things that are going to be going on. Um, in a minute, I'm going to have some folks um, that are just going to come up and be available to pray. Um, and I really want to just use this last worship song time as a time for just confession and prayer. Because um, I think it's really important for us to own the things that we see and then be humble enough to come to somebody else and confess it and ask them to pray for us. I think that's a really good step in reconciliation with God and others. So we're just going to have an opportunity for that. So those folks that are helping me with that, if you guys want to go ahead and come up and kind of spread yourselves out uh, up front, you can do that. We've got some folks uh, that are willing to do that. So come on up right now. Good. Um, I'll be up here as well. So during this last song, if you want to come and just confess some things and just pray, we'd be happy to do that. That's part of that, that the way that we get unstuck when we're in broken places is that we do vulnerable and humbling things, acknowledging our need and coming. Scripture tells us to confess our sins to one another, right? Because it helps heal us. The prayer of a righteous man is effective, okay? Uh, I'm also going to leave up this, this little quote I came across this week on the screen here. You can take a picture of it and ponder it a little bit more. I'll leave that up there for a second. I'm going to go ahead and pray as we go into this time, okay? Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Um, we don't have to dig around very hard to reveal the pride that's in all of us. This sense in us that we can kind of handle life on our own, that we don't need you or others sometimes. So God, we just come to you just confessing that we're broken and that we need your help, and we need one another. And God, I pray that you would move us to humility today. God, that we would be willing to consider that maybe the damage I'm doing in my prideful spirit is worse than I think. That I don't need just a little tweak here and there, but I need like a massive overhaul. And I really need you to enter in and to meet me here today and re release and uh, God just cover over my spirit, my mindset, my words, my actions that just drive a wedge relationally between myself and you and myself and other people so that I can love better. So we just give you this time and pray that you would do in our hearts what you need to do as we come and we confess to you um, either in our pews or are with a brother and sister in prayer up here. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just come on up whenever you want to if you need to.